Thank you, Mark, and thank you, Praise Team, for leading us through that time. And just a, a few quick notes um, on Sundays. We are not the only tenant here, so just a quick reminder that there is another church service that meets in the chapel back there. So if you guys do need to use the restrooms, we would prefer you walk around the building um, for my left and your right if you make your way over to the main building, if you need to use the restrooms there. So it is great to see all of you. I was facing this way, so I didn't quite see how many people were actually here today, but it's great to see. And every Sunday is a joyous Sunday, make no mistake, um, but today is especially so. And it is because we get to participate in the baptism of several dear saints in the Lord, Katie, Geneva, and Rochelle. Now, baptisms, as Mark mentioned, it's one of the highlights of our church life because what we celebrate in baptism is that each person today has received a gift that they don't deserve. And that gift is the forgiveness of their sins and a brand new life. So for those of you who are guests today, we're glad you're here with us. And you might understand baptism as something that Christians do, just a ritual and a tradition. And while it certainly is those things, it is much more. You see, we don't go through just the ceremony and the tradition and the ritual just as an excuse to have an outdoor service or for some whimsical or nostalgic purpose. And neither do we baptize because it gives people any righteousness. We're not washing our, their sins away in this inflatable pool. There isn't enough chlorine in the world that's going to do that. We're not making anyone better before God today than they were yesterday. Now, baptism is an outward act of obedience that acknowledges and communicates externally to a world that, that an inward reality that is already true, that these three ladies belong to Christ, that he is their Lord and Savior, and that they belong to his spiritual family. So for those here who are part of our church family, these baptisms are a chance for us to come alongside and affirm each person's confession of who Christ is. We're not spectators here only, but we are participants in this act as well. So what does baptism signify exactly? What exactly are we communicating when we dip someone to, into the water and bring them out? There are a few things that I'd like to point out to you today. Firstly, baptism signifies repentance. If you have your Bibles, you can please turn to Matthew 3, Matthew 3, and I'd like to read for you all an account of John the Baptist. It's starting in verse 1 in Matthew 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And then jump down all the way to verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So our context here, this is the book of Matthew. It's the first book of what we call the New Testament. And after a long period of hundreds of years of silence after the prophets, God is speaking again. 
a message given through a man named John the Baptist. And what could this message be? What is a message that breaks hundreds of years of silence? It's repent. Turn away from the old, turn towards the new. But why? Why now? Why is John out there baptizing and calling people to repent, to turn away from their old way of life to a new way of life? He actually tells us, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that the king is coming. And the message for us today is a continuation of that same message, repent, because the king has come. He has come to us in our darkness, in our sinfulness, and he's lived and walked among us. He's taken our sin, our guilt, our condemnation, and assumed our place before a guilty God and received God's, uh, guilty ones before God. And we receive God's judgment and wrath that was meant for us. So the one whom John was preparing for has come, and our hope is placed entirely in the cleansing that Jesus Christ gives us. Now, the waters of baptism doesn't wash us. It doesn't make us clean. Rather, there's a Savior who makes us clean. So the principles of repentance, they still apply to us today when we practice baptisms. When someone gets baptized, they declare that they are turning away from their old self that was committed to the world and the flesh and that they're entirely new creations, turning to Christ and living a new life in Him. If we can turn to another passage, let's go to Romans 6. And this is the passage that Tim read for us earlier. And in Romans 6, I'm going to focus in on verses 3 and 4. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism is both an identification with the death of Christ and also the resurrection of Christ. You'll notice when we baptize, we do so by fully submerging someone into the water and then bringing them back up. And there's a purpose for that. Now, there's no magic in getting completely submerged, but it does capture the symbolism of us dying to our old selves, a death that happens when you're completely submerged and then rising up into a new life. The old has gone and the new has come, a new creation in Christ. Now, when someone goes down to the water, they're signifying that their old life, the one that identified with the world, is dead. It's no more. They no longer live that life. They don't belong to that anymore. And when they they come up out of the water, they're signifying that they've been raised into a brand new, different life than what it was before with Christ as Lord, freed from sin, so they can pursue holiness. They belong to Christ. It's a life that puts sin to death and puts on holiness. Now, there are a few other things that I would like to highlight just to help you appreciate what we're going to witness today. When someone's baptized, they symbolize being purified or cleansed in Christ. Now, again, it should be obvious that the waters does not actually cleanse anyone. It's not holy water. No one's sins are absolved by getting into this pool. Otherwise, that would mean that we could achieve some righteousness through some ritual or by the works of men. Baptism with water is just a picture of what Christ is doing, has done in our lives. Cleanse us of our sin and filth. Wash away the filthiness of our old selves. And those who have been washed by Christ are no longer stained by their sin. 
they can stand confident before God, not because they cleaned up their act, but because Christ makes them clean. So our assurance is not in ourselves or the fact that we are baptized. Our confidence isn't in the rituals or traditions. It's in the Lord. We read that Christ himself was baptized out of submission to the word of the Lord, that he might fulfill all righteousness on our behalf, not us. We don't then add to that righteousness by adding another requirement for salvation. That criteria is already met. They're already clean in Christ, and today we're just celebrating that reality outwardly. In John 15, Christ says to his disciples, already you are clean because, what, you took a bath? Because you go to church regularly? Because you perform some ritual? No, Christ said, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. It's Christ and his word, not the traditions and rituals of men that save anyone. And if you were to look in the passage that we read in Matthew, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they actually went to John the Baptist and showed up. But did John baptize them? No. He turns them away. And he tells them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And why? He does so because precisely their faith was placed in their traditions and their adherence to man-made practices, not in God. So when we practice baptism, it is in the traditions of man that we're after, but the repentance and the acknowledgement that salvation is through the work of God alone. Next, baptism is a public declaration of who you are in Christ. That's why in a few moments, those who are getting baptized will be giving a testimony, a public testimony of the work that Christ has done and a confession of who Christ is to them now. Much like the vows given at a wedding in a public ceremony, baptism is an external affirmation of things that are already true and a public commitment to a person. Essentially, when someone's baptized, they're marking themselves off from the world and they're painting a big sign on themselves saying, I am not of the world. I am of Christ. There's no hiding it anymore. Next, when someone is baptized, not only are they declaring who they are in Christ, they are also identifying with Christ and his people. This is why baptism is frequently tied with membership in Christ's church. Baptism is a believer's act of publicly declaring their commitment to Christ and his people. And a little bit later on, we'll have the opportunity to have those who are baptized also welcomed as members into our church if they're not members already. Membership is a commitment to Christ's church and the other people who have identified with Jesus. So if baptism is like the wedding ceremony, ongoing membership in the local church is like the marriage. Baptism and membership, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're both part of the same journey of every believer. Now, for those of you who are currently members of Lighthouse Bible Church, I mentioned earlier that you are participants today. So how? So let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew again, but this time let's go to the end. Matthew 28. And if you are members of this church, you should know these verses. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So look at the call to baptize here. 
Who is it that is called to baptize? It's those who are called to make disciples. And the same people who are called to teach others to observe all that Christ has commanded. In other words, it's the church that is called to do this. This is one of those truths that's very obvious, but sometimes we overlook it because it's so obvious. Baptism is not something that Geneva or Katie or Rochelle are doing to themselves. Similar to how there's no self-salvation, we don't have self-baptism. Baptism is something that is done to them. So the commands in Matthew 28, they're not directed to the people being baptized directly, but to those who are baptizing. And from the perspective of the church, we have the responsibility to hold someone accountable to walking according to the new life that they have in Christ, to live their lives in a way that reflects who they have just proclaimed themselves to be. See, baptism, it's not the only responsibility given to the church in this passage. Making disciples, it's not just about baptizing. As many people as we can. And the church wouldn't just be, wouldn't not be fulfilling Christ's command to make disciples just by setting up a baptism shop and baptizing as many people as we could. No, there's a lot more here. Baptizing is one part of an overall call to discipleship. It's an essential component of discipleship, but not the entirety of it. The command to make disciples is comprised of a call to baptize, yes, but there's also another call accompanying it to teach them to observe or obey all that Christ has commanded. So for us, the church, there's a call to teach obedience to Christ's commands. For you, Geneva, Katie, and Rochelle, there's a call to obey all that Christ commanded, which you are doing today in getting baptized, but it has to continue on. Discipleship continues. And as much as today is a celebration, it's not the celebration of having reached a finish line. Just like you're already genuine disciples before being baptized, you continue being disciples of Christ after your baptism. After your baptism, it continues in the form of observing all that Christ has commanded with continual participation in the life of the church body. So how do I make that connection? What's the connection between the act of baptism and the ongoing discipleship of participating in the church? And this will be the last passage we go through. If we turn to Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll be going to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the passage starts off with the preaching of the gospel and people being saved. They're called to repent and they are baptized. And then what? What happens after their baptism? It says, they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? The number of believers counted in the local assembly, the local church. They were added to the membership roster that day. It is talking about a local assembly. Baptism signified their entrance into the body of believers. But then we read on. Verses 42 through 47, they're a description of the discipleship that continues after people have been baptized. It's a life devoted to the body of believers. So today is not specifically about Geneva, Katie, and Rochelle. It's firstly about Christ and what he has done. But it's also about how the people of Christ can come alongside them to follow Christ together. So without further ado, I would like to uh, invite Mark back up here, and I'd also like to invite our first baptism candidate for today, Katie, if you can come up here. So for those who don't know me, my name is Katie and I'm super excited to share my testimony with everyone now. I grew up in a Christian household and always claimed that I was a believer, but I never truly understood what it actually meant to be Christian and it was reflected in how I lived my life. Thankfully, God placed me in a home that did go to church and I was able to listen to Bible stories and was always excited to go to church when I was young. But as I grew older and circumstances at home became more difficult, it became harder to get involved at church and I always put my faith or going to church second to everything in my life. Because home and school were hard, it caused me to harbor bitterness towards God because I felt alone and wronged. I felt reluctant to go to church on Sundays and try to get out of going when it inconvenienced me. However, even when I turned away from God, he continued to pursue my heart by placing people like my sister and my mom in my life who constantly encouraged me to go to church despite my hesitant demeanor. During my third year of high school, my mom urged me to attend a youth retreat despite my protests. At this retreat, the speaker talked about God's steadfast love and how much he cared for us, that he would even send his only son to die for our sins. God began to soften my heart, and I started to realize that people on this earth will always disappoint us, but God's steadfast love and sovereignty will remain constant. At this time, Psalm 145 and Isaiah 40 stood out to me. Psalm 145, 8-9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. And Isaiah 40, 28-31 states that, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
as I heard more about God's character, he opened my eyes to see how much he had provided and how I could put my trust in him. It was also at this retreat that God allowed me to share my struggles with the girls my age and people in the youth ministry. With these new bonds at church, I gradually no longer felt alone and started to rethink my priorities in life and what it might be like to devote my life to Christ. At that point, I thought I was saved. But looking back, I helped out and became more active in church, not for the glory of God, but for myself. I didn't understand the gravity of my sin, and I still deeply cherished things of this world and prioritized other aspects of my life over church. I still depended on myself and didn't fully give my life to Christ. I thought I could live life how I did before and just ask for forgiveness later. I couldn't see my own stubborn and unrepentant heart. It wasn't until the beginning of my second year of college that I believed I was truly saved. At the time, I struggled with severe anxiety where I had panic attacks almost every day and went through difficult trials with family and friends. Initially, I tried to deal with things myself and I felt so helpless. But God placed this difficult time in my life for a purpose and it helped me realize that I could lean only on Him. He gave me the desire to read His word and pray and for the first time, I truly believed in God's word that my life is in Him. Romans 2, 5 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. He helped me realize that I ultimately deserve God's wrath because of my sinful nature, and I can't do anything to change that. Even though I am a sinner, God saved me by sending His only Son to die for my sins, and it is only through Christ that my sins have been forgiven. I began to hate my sin and truly desire to have a heart that repents and asks for God's forgiveness. By His grace and mercy, God does give me that forgiveness, and I am saved because He died for me. He helped me understand that no matter how much I tried to control my own life, I could only find true peace in Him, and that He ultimately had the best plan for me that I don't have to worry because even when life has its ups and downs, we can place our hope in Him. Philippians 4, 6-7 six, says that, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Only now do I understand that God puts me through difficult trials to show me how sinful I am and the importance of a, rep a repentant heart. Ephesians 2, 1-10 really resonates with me. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were all nature by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My struggles and my bitterness stem from my own sin, and I was powerless against them. 
but God showed me mercy and still cared for me even when I ultimately rejected him. He filled me with the passion to read his word, pray, and become more involved in church. It was then that I wanted to give my life to God and live a life that glorifies him. By God's grace, he saved me, provided me with people that constantly cared about my walk with God, placed me in solid churches that always preached the gospel, and surrounded me with a church community that provided accountability. I thank God that even though I struggled in my youth, he still constantly poured truth and kept a hold on me during the times I did attend church. I'm a I'm amazed at his sovereignty and how gracious he is towards a sinner like me who still struggles with sin. But I am comforted that I can put my hope in Christ, that he gave me the gift of salvation and will help me every step of the way. Thank you. Katie, we're going to ask you to step in and thank you for just encouraging and blessing us with your testimony. <clears throat> I am going to ask Danny, can you uh, give me assistance by holding on to the mic here so I don't electrocute poor Katie and the rest of us? Um, thanks, Danny. I'm going to get you to hold it right here. Katie, it's, it's just been a blessing. We got to know you before we ever saw you. And it was through your sister, Alice. And Alice was trying not to be a big sister, but sharing with us her prayers for you and asked us to pray for you. So we were praying for you when you went to college and Alice would check in and just sort of let us know how things were going. And what was a blessing for us was to see, in spite of the fact that we couldn't do anything because you were down in San Diego and we were up here and, and just the burdens um, in that way of family, at the end of the day, Alice would say, you know, the Lord really seems to be doing something in Katie's life. And so we got to hear about that. And we were blessed by that. Now, even more so, the fullness is, you know, you God has allowed you to become part of our church family, which is more than we uh, deserve. And so, Katie, in light of your confession of faith, in light of fruit in keeping with repentance, in light of really the love of Christ that's evident in your life and the affirmation of the local church. It's our joy and our delight on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and on behalf of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose to welcome you into the family to celebrate this official new beginning as part of the body of Christ. And at this time, we get the joy and privilege of baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that testifies that you belong to Him. Right, next we have a Geneva. Why don't you come on up here? Hi everybody. Uh, my name is Geneva and I'm excited to be here today to share the work that Christ has done in my life. Um, throughout my childhood, I grew up going to church on Sundays, and it was during Sunday school, vacation Bible schools, Awana, and sitting in Sunday services where I began to hear about God, God who created the heavens and the earth, 
who created you and me. I never doubted or questioned that God was real. Throughout middle and high school, I never went to youth group, and all the friends that I had at school were non-Christian. I only went to church on Sundays with my family, and that was about all the Jesus I had in my life, two hours a week. The rest of my days throughout the week were filled with me doing whatever I wanted to do, living life for myself. However, looking back at my youth days, I recognized that I did not truly understand what exactly the gospel was, that God had sent his one and only son to die for our sins, that through him was the only way that we could be truly saved. As a teenager, I thought the life I was living was not inherently bad, but not necessarily great, just a normal and okay life. My life before knowing and cherishing Christ was characterized by self-serving and people-pleasing actions, thoughts, and words. I was completely consumed and driven by the approval of others and pursuit of others' happiness and comfort. This way of life had gripped my heart and it led me further. Further and further away from Christ. I would lie, cheat, and steal. I ultimately placed my identity in what others thought of me. I fed in a, into my own pride and selfishness and desire to maintain face and fit in with others led me to deeper into my own sin. I would go to parties and have too many drinks and try different drugs. I experienced panic attacks and struggled with anxiety as thoughts that revolved around displeasing others or about the unknown future swirled around endlessly in my head. Lastly, as I continued to succeed academically, socially, and vocationally, I was selfish in pointing the praise to myself. To sum it all up, at the root of all my actions was a love, for, love and pride for myself and an improper view and lack of understanding of God's word. God truly softened my hardened and ignorant heart when I went, starting when I went to college. The Lord sovereignly led me to UC Santa Cruz, where I would join my sister and attend college fellowship and church for the first time out of my own volition. I had begun attending fellowships and churches in Santa Cruz and seeing that there were people who had a great desire to know, love, and trust in God. As I was welcomed into these communities, God lovingly helped me understand that I was not living a life characterized by knowing and loving Christ. Though, uh, through a conversation with a friend, we talked about my desires and actions, the self-serving and people-pleasing ones, and questioned whether or not I was truly saved. After that conversation, I recognized that the life I was living was not pleasing to God, but pleasing to man. The conversation challenged me to consider for what, for, uh, consider what following God and being a Christian truly meant. Galatians 1.10 is a verse that explains, for, now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Up until this moment, I had believed that I was already saved, that I was guaranteed to go to heaven just because I went to church on Sundays and called myself a Christian. My ultimate identity, hopes, and actions were centered around myself and what I could do, not God and not what was pleasing to him. At that time, and only by God's grace, he revealed to me that my actions and my sin is what separated me from him. God being holy, just and loving, desires for his people to love him with their entire hearts, minds, and souls. God had given me eyes to see and ears to hear, and I recognized then that I was a sinner in need of a great Savior. God showed me that he is completely deserving of my entire life. Galatians 2.20 has been very foundational to my walk with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And I can rejoice in knowing that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, as it says in Romans 5.8. Although my sin was and is still great, God's grace and mercy abounded all the more and led me to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of my life. As it is no longer I who live, I am reminded of Philippians 3.8, and it reads, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that my former life was counted as lost, that in order I may go, grow in Christ. I no longer needed to fear man, but rather place an everlasting hope in him, Christ Jesus my Lord. In growing in Christ, I recognized a shift in my life. I was eager to learn about God, to grow in knowledge and love for him. I began to really listen and understand Sunday sermons, read the word of God, and pray. What I learned over the rest of my freshman year and time in college is that God is worthy of my life. He deserves my utmost in all that I do, and he makes all things work together ultimately for our good and his glory. Um, my printer messed up, so I didn't actually finish it. But I rest in knowing... Um, that God cares for me. He, forgive, he has forgiven me, and he has sent his son to die on the cross for my sins and the sins of the world. As I continue to learn to take up my cross daily and cast my burdens and anxieties unto him, I am reminded all the more that although my sins are many, God's mercy is more. 2 Corinthians 12.9 reminds me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In my weaknesses, struggles, and sins, God's grace is sufficient. I am thankful that God has placed and will continue to place various people, trials, and lessons in my life to ultimately draw me closer to him. In closing, a verse I seek to live by is Psalm 86.12. And it reads, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. I will live to glorify your name forever. Thanks. Geneva, thank you for just blessing us um, with your testimony. And... Um, you know, just on behalf of our church, it was wonderful when we first met you that there was another Castro Valley sister who was coming to see us. But then, you know, as you spent time in your discipleship group, as my wife Julie got to know you and you shared and she was sharing with us, it, it has just been evident uh, to see Christ's love in your life. And that has been a joy to hear and to see how the Lord really took you out of darkness and many of us who grew up in Christian homes just because we grew up in a Christian home doesn't mean we're not living in darkness on the inside but to see how the Lord brought the light inside and to share it with us so on behalf of your confession of faith on behalf of the testimony of Christ's love and grace in your life on behalf of the fruit and keeping with repentance and on behalf of our church and most of all our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we celebrate welcoming you in to the family of God officially, even though you are already a child of God. And it is our privilege and joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Last but not least, Miss, Mrs. Rochelle Meza, would you please come and give us your testimony? Thank you. Hi, my name's Rochelle. Um, I'm happy to be here, healthy to be here. And we're, um, we're on our way back to Hawaii on Thursday, so um, God's timing is great in being able to do this before then. Uh, I'm blessed to grow, have grown up in a Christian household. I remember our family devotionals, prayer time, and attending church services throughout the week. I was around five years old when I came to my parents saying I was saved and was subsequently baptized. I do remember parts of it, but I know now that I had lacked the full understanding of salvation and all it entailed. Throughout my childhood and adolescent life, my parents continued to keep God as a cornerstone in our family, which would help us get through many challenges when my father became mentally ill with bipolar disorder. It threw our lives into disarray and I had to go grow up fast. It was my first realization to man's frailty in its physical and mental form, demonstrating the fall of man from the beginning with Adam and Eve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, Romans 5.12. Throughout these years, I also saw God's grace on my family. My parents were a witness to me as they turned to Christ as their hope. He always provided for us, and I saw the strength he gave my mom as she stuck by my father's side and took on the responsibility to support our family. I saw the love from our church as they supported us through prayer and in shepherding, helping us in whatever way they could. This was my first introduction to seeing people turn away from self-reliance and instead place their trust in God. I was what the world would describe as a good kid, but felt far from it. Yes, I did well in school, didn't swear, and got along with all of my peers, but I grew more aware of sin around me and in the world, man's nature to do evil. I was unfulfilled with worldly pleasures and put my trust mainly in what I could accomplish. As I reached adulthood, I understood my need for Christ, that God's wrath was the penalty for sin leading to damnation. I knew that no amount of good deeds could redeem me because man fell short of God's glory and the only way our relationship could be mended would be through Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. Romans 10.9 also states that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is God's promise that I believed in. It is the only thing in this world that we can count on and have the joy to hope in. Salvation is more than just believing that Jesus is real. In James 2.19-20 and 26 it says, you believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. 
In repentance, my life was now filled with hope and reassurance of growing in my faith. I was and am far from sinless, but now continually seek to obey God and live a life of growing repentance. God is gracious and desires to love and help us. 1 John 1.9 states, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through trials and tribulations, I also am able to see God's guidance and love to live my life for Him because He wants us to draw close to Him and live the life that was first intended for us. All along I see the ways God has brought me to Him. He led me to another believer who I married, and the Lord led my family to Lighthouse Bible Church. When my husband and I went through the thorough membership process, we reflected on our personal journeys with Christ and had to do a lot of self-examination. That is where the topic of me being baptized when I was a child kept coming up. It was then that I really encountered conviction about my childhood baptism and being rebaptized as a believing adult. God has blessed me with that conviction which has led me here today. I still have a lot of growing in Christ to do, but I'd be blessed to spend my life doing so. With a long life, I will satisfy Him and let Him see my salvation. Psalms 91.16 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 I am grateful to stand before you now as an adult who professes Christ as my Savior and desires to be baptized as God commands, as a symbol of purification of death to the old life and as a public declaration that Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you. Rochelle, thank you for sharing with us and just encouraging us. Our time with you has been brief. You guys came right before COVID, I think it was, and then we had COVID in between. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, what we receive from you and your family, what the Lord gave us is still better than we deserve. We would have liked to have had more and capture you and keep you here a little longer, but we know Hawaii is calling and that's where the Lord has his plans for you. Uh, but it's been sweet. I know Teddy and Naomi have been blessed by this opportunity just to spend time with you and to get to know you and, and Allie and your family. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that has been a joy for us and as we've gotten to know you and your family is to see the way the Lord redeems brokenness. And he does not toss it away. He does not bury it. In fact, he takes that and he renews it and he makes it beautiful and he gives us that gift with which to encourage and to comfort and share with others a demonstration of what Christ does as the King and Lord of our lives. And it's been the joy of our church to be praying for you this past month because we know it's been post-COVID for you and your family just hard with your extended family too, with your sister and brother-in-law. It's just been a, a struggle. We've been praying for you. And I know even we weren't guaranteed whether you'd be able to make it today. So for us, this is an answer to prayer. We've been praying for you as a church over the past few weeks. So we celebrate that this is a new beginning for you officially. You belong to Christ. Whatever he plans for you, you know is good. His promises are real. And so on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
on behalf of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose as a sister and part of our family. Even when you go to Hawaii, you'll still be part of our family, but we'll share you, okay? Um, It's our privilege and joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, testifying that by faith and repentance in Christ and his mighty work in your hand, which clearly began as a child and is brought to fulfillment here, you belong to him. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Praise God for the work that he has done and everything that we've been able to hear this morning. Uh, So with that, um, I'm going to close our formal baptism time in a word of prayer as I invite our praise team to come back up and lead us in a uh, few songs. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and mercy, Lord, that we've been able to hear about here. And I just thank you, Lord, that the work is not our own. We would mess it up, Lord. And we know that you are a God who is gracious and good, even in our imperfections, even in our rebellion, Lord. You have reached into our darkness to give us new life. So we thank you for that. And I just pray for everybody here, for those who know you, that we would continue to honor you as Lord. For those who don't, Lord, I just pray that you would show them that they need you, Lord. And we know that that only comes as you reveal that to us. So we thank you, Father, for being able to hear the amazing testimony of your work in the lives of these three dear sisters, Lord. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.